You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mikich. Welcome back to the Fix the Money, Fix the World podcast. If you are new here, welcome. My name is Luke and I talk about all things to do with macroeconomics, geopolitics, business, investing, finance, and of course, Bitcoin, because Bitcoin touches all of those topics. And today I'm going to be actually playing an interview um, that I was privileged to be a part of uh, recently when I appeared on the Bloodcast podcast with Hector and his amazing co-host. Um, and we actually talked about crypto, Bitcoin, maximalism, and trading. And in this podcast, we kind of get into talking about my backstory where I used to stare at a screen for somewhere between 12 to 16 hours a day, trading like an absolute degenerative. Yes, that's right. I'm not sure if a lot of people know that about me. I am a Bitcoin maximalist now, but there was a period in my life, maybe 24 to 36 months ago, where um, I was a degenerate and I learned my lessons and I learned them the hard ways. And in this episode, I kind of talk about why human beings are biologically hardwired to feel like they have to be doing something all the time to be successful. A lot of people think they need to be constantly buying and selling to make money when in reality, it's actually probably the easiest thing will turn out to be the most profitable when it comes to trading. And in this episode, I kind of make the case, hey, look, uh, the less amount of trades you make, the better. Okay, honestly, if you just simply buy Bitcoin and don't touch it for five years, as boring as that sounds, it's probably going to be the most profitable trade most people will ever make. Okay. You are buying shares in a technology that currently has somewhere between one to 5% global adoption. And you were just making the bet. Yes. Bitcoin is a superior technology. It is the dominant technology. And I am just waiting for the other 95 to 99% of the world to figure out these simple facts that Bitcoin is the dominant form of money. And when these people figure it out, they're going to come in, they're going to buy Bitcoin and they're going to pump my bags. Okay. It's really that simple. And in this episode, I obviously uh, talk about all of that. I talk about Bitcoin maximalism. I talk about trading. I talk about leverage trading. And I talk about the very unique position. I believe we are in Bitcoin technological adoption curve. Um, So if any of that sounds interesting, make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast. Uh, Let's quickly hit our show sponsors before we get into it. And I'll catch you guys on the other side of this episode. So you guys know I'm always talking about the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. That's because Bitcoin is only a revolutionary asset. If you use it the way it's supposed to be used, okay, you constantly hear Bitcoiners say, not your keys, not your coins. And if you have Bitcoin sitting on an exchange, it's not your Bitcoin. The Celsius users found that out earlier this year when billions of customer funds were also used to speculate in these high-risk trading platforms. And when Celsius blew up, they said, sorry guys, not your keys, not your coins. We're not giving you the billions of dollars of money we owe. Actually, very, very similar to what we're talking about today in China. The people thought they had money in the bank, but no, 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 no. If you don't hold the money, it's not your money, okay? So that's why we always talk about not your keys, not your coins. And that's why I recommend you take your Bitcoin off the exchange and put it into a hardware wallet. Um, This sexy and slick little Bitbox O2 hardware wallet is, in my opinion, the easiest hardware wallet to use. It's the cheapest hardware wallet on the market, and it can get even cheaper if you use a promo code Bitcoin Made Simple. That's right, we're giving you guys 5% off this uh, sexy little Bitbox O2 hardware wallet if you use that promo code, Bitcoin Made Simple. So I highly recommend you actually go and start using Bitcoin the way it should be used. Now, let's hear from our next show sponsor. 
Massive thank you to today's show sponsor, Hodling Apparel, who is the best Bitcoin and freedom-oriented clothing brand in the space. Trust me, guys, I've been in the Bitcoin space for around five years now, and it's very, very difficult to find some high-quality Bitcoin clothing. And like me, the two founders of Hodling Apparel were endlessly looking for more wearable, everyday Bitcoin clothing until they realized they could just make their own. And that's exactly what they've done. As you can see on the screen here, guys, they offer a wide range of hats, t-shirts, and sweatshirts for every type of Bitcoiner, male and female, whether they are loud maximalists or low-key sovereign individuals. So whether you're headed to the next Bitcoin conference or family reunion, get yourself some gear at hodlingapparel.com to spread the Bitcoin message in style. Uh, today, guys, you can get 20% off the entire range at Hodling Apparel if you use the promo code BMS20. So that is B. MS20. That stands for Bitcoin Made Simple. Um, and you guys can also get 15% off if it's your first time buying anything at Hodling Apparel. I highly recommend you go and check them out. My personal favorite is the Ungovernable T-shirt. I've got one of those on the way and I'll be sporting it very shortly. But massive thank you to, again, Hodling Apparel. Check them out at hodlingapparel.com. So without any further wait, let me introduce you to our today's special guest. We're joined by Luke of BMS and author of Bitcoin Magazine. Luke is a Bitcoin enthusiast and has written many articles on the web surrounding the crypto and Bitcoin boom. So Luke, why don't you introduce yourself to the Blood Gang? Yeah, really excited to be here, guys. Firstly, so I'm a co-host at the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast. I also write for a, a number of different companies in the Bitcoin space. One of those being a YouTuber, Mark Moss. I also manage the social media for Coinbeast account, which is another Bitcoin company. I'm just a contributor to Bitcoin Magazine. I'm certainly not their sole author. Just a, lucky enough to be contributing over there at Bitcoin Magazine. And I obviously I have a little YouTube channel myself, Fix the Money, Fix the World. So I'm full-time in the Bitcoin space and I'm lucky enough to have probably the best job in the world, in my opinion. Awesome. Thank you for clearing that up for us. So how were you initially introduced to crypto and especially to Bitcoin trading? What was the turning point in your life that made you adopt crypto or Bitcoin and trading in general? Yeah, so back in, I think, 2017, I was studying a double major in maths and chemistry at university. I think that's called college here in America. In Australia, we call higher education university. So I was doing that. I was always looking for entrepreneurial kind of ways to get ahead in life. So I was looking at, at the time, buying a, a small business, a little cafe I was working at. I was also weighing the opportunity to get into uh, property investing because I was fascinated why property prices only went up. They never went down. They only went went up. So, and then in 2017, I kind of learned about Bitcoin. I can remember listening to the radio on my way home from uni one night. And one of the hosts was talking about how Bitcoin had gone from 10K to 20K in a week back in 2017. And then they mentioned something about it having a fixed supply. There was only 21 million coins. And instantly I can remember I had to stop the car and I turned the radio up and I was just listening to it. So, and you know, five years has passed. Um, I left university to study Bitcoin full time. 
time I told myself it was just going to be a gap year and I'd go back to university and I never did. So I've been studying Bitcoin full time, like 16 hours a day since 2017. I've, I've just been absolutely captivated by the Bitcoin rabbit hole and the ramifications that a global sound money in the form of Bitcoin uh, will have on transforming society as we transition into the digital age. That's amazing. I like how you mentioned that you actually heard about Bitcoin on the radio and look how far we've come. We're the people on the radio now and we're enlightening people just like we were at a certain point in time back then. So I really love the phrase that you coined in an article you wrote in 2020 and you said that separation of money and state. What was the motivation behind this phrase? Yeah, so we've actually throughout 5,000 years of monetary history, we've never been able to have a form of money that can't be controlled by someone. So whether it be kings, emperors or governments today, we've always had forms of money where the elites who control government and control society, they're able to steal our wealth through inflation. So that's just simply debasing the money supply. So thousands of years ago, for example, the fall of the Roman Empire occurred because the emperors at the time, they would clip the sides of the gold coins. That's essentially debasing the money. And that's how essentially you can extract wealth from the lower and the middle class and transfer it to those who are able to debase the money. So essentially throughout 5,000 years, we've never had a form of money that couldn't be controlled by rulers and elites. Um, We've never been able to separate money from the state, the government. And for the first time in human history, I think Bitcoin gives us the opportunity to actually separate money and state because Bitcoin is the first form of money that can't be controlled by anyone. It's essentially a set of rules that can't be influenced by rulers. And I think that's a very, very revolutionary invention. And I think it's going to transform society. And it's also going to transform how we see governments and how much power they have over society when they can no longer steal our wealth through inflation. Right. So I like how you mentioned that it gives people a sense of ownership over their own money. And I do completely agree with that. But I have a counter argument to what you've just said. And that is, you said that it gives people a sense of ownership, like there is no external interferences. No ruling elites are controlling the currency, and it's protected from inflation, of course. But my counter-argument is, is it really decentralized, and is it really protected from external influences when exchanges like Binance or Coinbase can definitely play a major part in deciding the future, the downfall, and the uprise of crypto? Yeah, so exchanges, they actually don't affect the Bitcoin protocol at all. For example, if you own Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase and Binance, you don't actually own Bitcoin. The exchanges own the Bitcoin. And like we've seen recently with Celsius, one of the largest exchanges in the crypto space, they just went bankrupt. And they just said overnight, they said to everyone who was holding Bitcoin on that exchange, they said, sorry, guys, you can't withdraw your Bitcoin and quote unquote crypto from the exchange. It's ours. Um, So exchanges actually have no influence over the Bitcoin protocol. The Bitcoin protocol itself, it is the most decentralized computer system in the world and these exchanges they cannot change the rules of bitcoin so that's why in the bitcoin space you hear a phrase called not your keys not your coins so that's essentially just saying look if you don't hold your own private keys and if you don't hold your bitcoin in your own wallet they're not your coins so that's kind of like a binance and a coinbase they're equivalents of stock trading platforms so think of them like a robin hood or like a charles schwab you don't actually own the stocks 
you need to ask permission from that stock trading platform for you to actually trade those stocks and withdraw your profits and your winnings. Binance and Coinbase and Celsius and all of these exchanges, they're the exact same thing. They're like a trusted third party. So they have no impact on the Bitcoin protocol and how decentralized Bitcoin is. When you hold your own keys in your own wallet, no government can actually take that Bitcoin from you. No government can inflate the Bitcoin supply to debase the Bitcoin that you hold. And no government can even know that you own that Bitcoin in that wallet if you buy it correctly. That's super insightful. So the only real way to store cryptocurrency or actually own it is through a hardware wallet, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so there's lots of different ways. Hardware wallets are the best way to hold your Bitcoin. So there's lots of different hardware wallets like a Ledger, a Trezor, a Cold Card. And I would it would be remiss of me to not mention the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. They actually sponsor my podcast and they are the quickest and the easiest way for somebody to store their Bitcoin in a self-sovereign way. And obviously hardware wallets are much, much, much safer than what we call software wallets or mobile wallets. So you also have lots of other wallets that are on your phone or your laptop. So for example, the Blue Wallet, the Chivo Wallet that's been used in El Salvador, um, or the Electrum Wallet or the Spectre Wallet. These are all examples of mobile wallets, but they're connected to the internet. So they're not very safe. So I always say to people, look, yes, holding Bitcoin in a wallet on your phone or on the laptop. Yes, it's connected to the internet. Yes, it's a little bit dangerous, but it's much safer than holding your keys on an exchange. So I kind of see it as a stepping stones in terms of Bitcoin custody. So you first kind of buy Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase, then you transfer it to like a mobile wallet or a software wallet like Electrum or Blue Wallet. And then to get the best form of custody, you take the next step and you transfer that onto a hardware wallet that doesn't connect to the internet like a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Sweet, that's super insightful. So I'd like to move on and discuss about a recent article that the New York Times put in, and it was titled Crypto Crashed Wall Street One. What do you think about this? So I didn't actually get the chance to read that article in full, but from memory, I think crypto crash, crypto crashes all the time. And I actually expect the large majority of the cryptos, the cryptocurrencies to actually go to zero in the next 10 years. I like to always make the differentiation between Bitcoin and the other 20,000 cryptos. I think Bitcoin has had six quote unquote crashes bigger than 80% in its life, but it just continues to set higher highs and higher lows because the Bitcoin adoption option continues to grow. Crypto, on the other hand, will continue to crash. And I, I expect it to crash to zero in the long term because it's actually not decentralized like Bitcoin is. So I didn't get a chance to read the article, but were they talking about the exchanges going bankrupt and lots of the DeFi protocols losing 90% of its value? And I'm sure they would have mentioned lots of those things. Right. They definitely did. What do you think about investing in crypto? And what is your personal code of conduct whenever you come across a investment opportunity? How do you go about doing your research or just finding out if something is really worth your time? Yeah, so back in the 2017, 2018 days, and even 2019 days, I probably read well over 30 or 40, maybe even over 50 cryptocurrency white papers. I used to invest in all of the DeFi coins and I used to believe all the narratives surrounding Web3 and how 
crypto was going to revolutionize the world. And then personally, I kind of came to the realization that the true innovation in this entire cryptocurrency space was creating a form of money that has no rulers and nobody can change the rules. So that's obviously what Bitcoin has done. It solved humanity's largest problem, uh, which is a broken monetary system. And over the past 5,000 years, emperors, kings and rulers and governments today have been able to debase the money. Bitcoin fixes that with its finite 21 million coin supply cap. And it also fixes that issue in terms to nobody will be able to change the Bitcoin supply. So I came to the realization Bitcoin was the solution. And I also came to the realization through pretty extensive research that none of these other cryptocurrencies offer the same set of rules that Bitcoin does. So all of these cryptocurrencies constantly have their rules changed. Uniswap's a great example. That was the most decentralized DEX and it's had to recently delist 100 projects. Wi-Fi was also a blue chip cryptocurrency, which promised its users that it was going to have a finite supply like Bitcoin. And in 2021, it said, hey, look, sorry, we're changing the rules. Uh, we're going to inflate the money supply by 20%. And Ethereum's the most uh, most interesting example of a cryptocurrency that's changed its rules. I think Ethereum's changed its monetary policy eight to nine times in its life. So wow. I personally came to the realization that, yeah, Bitcoin was the only thing that was decentralized. So Bitcoin was the only thing that was worth investing in. And that's kind of where I become a Bitcoin maximalist. Gotcha. That's some really great insight into this. I like how you mentioned that crypto keeps crashing all the time. But with the recent crypto winter that we're facing, who do you think is really responsible for wiping out billions of dollars in holdings and portfolios? What is the key factor that we're currently facing this downfall? So I think that New York Times article probably knew bits and pieces of the story. I think they were maybe right that maybe it was Wall Street crashed crypto or maybe Wall Street had a hand in helping crash crypto. But I personally think it was crypto's fault. Like, for example, the Luna protocol, that was kind of the first big domino to fall in this recent crypto crash. The Luna protocol essentially lost $45 billion of market cap value in a month when Luna and its stable coin UST, US Tether, depegged itself and something like $50 billion of value was wiped out. So whether that was an attack by Wall Street or not, I think it was actually crypto's fault because they created, oh, Do Kwon, the founder of Luna, uh, created a protocol that had flaws in it. It wasn't decentralized and it wasn't a good idea. So I think bad ideas are going to get exploited like they did. I think exchanges like Celsius and like BlockFi, who don't actually hold the Bitcoin they claim to hold, there will be bank runs and they will do what they did recently. And they say to their users, sorry, guys, you can't get your Bitcoin out from us. We're halting withdrawals. So I think you will continue to see crypto crashing because I, I don't see much of crypto as being any form of innovation. I think a lot of it's centralized. A lot of it claims to be decentralized when it's not. And especially Luna. I mean, Luna is a great example. It was number six on coin market cap on the, so out of the 20,000 coins, it had the sixth largest market cap and everybody thought of that as a blue chip altcoin. You had famous investors like the CEO of Galaxy Digital, Mike Novogratz. He even had a Luna tattoo on his arm. Everybody wow. saw Luna as a, what was that? Just saying like, wow, I mean, he's so into it that he actually tattoos yeah. it on his <laughs> arm or something. 
How wild is that? A, a famous Wall Street billionaire had a Luna tattoo on his arm. Everybody thought Luna was this blue chip safe cryptocurrency and lo and behold, it got exploited because it was a flawed protocol. It was essentially a Ponzi scheme. $45 billion of wealth was wiped out. So yeah, I, I think I think crypto will continue to crash going forwards into the years. And that's why I tell people I'm only comfortable telling people to invest in or look into things that I think are safe. And the only thing that I see is safe is Bitcoin. Out of all the 20,000 cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin's the only finished protocol that's actually decentralized and actually can't be controlled or changed by anyone. Right. So that tattoo... I'm guessing was more of a marketing gimmick than anything else. Yes. Yeah. He's a bit extravagant, Mike Novogratz, but a, I would encourage the listeners to Google Mike Novogratz Luna Tattoo. It's a very large tattoo as well. That's cool. I noticed that you mentioned that crypto is going to crash even further, and it was sitting at around $3 trillion in November two years ago. And right now, as of this moment, it's at $977 billion. That's a $2 trillion freefall. But where do you think the bottom lies in this market cap? I honestly don't know where the exact bottom is. I'll never predict, I'll never make short-term price predictions. Personally, it's very interesting because this is the first Bitcoin bear market that's kind of been influenced by an external factor. So the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world actually started withdrawing liquidity from markets and raising interest rates in late 2021. And that's caused a lot of these hedge fund uh, traders and degenerative traders on Wall Street to actually sell all of what they perceive to be risky assets. So they don't understand Bitcoin yet, and they see Bitcoin as this risk on asset. So when central banks started tightening monetary policy in late 2021, these Wall Street traders started selling their tech stocks like ARK and like Tesla, NVIDIA, all of these high-flying tech stocks were getting sold by these hedge fund traders, and they also sold. Bitcoin because they saw Bitcoin as a risk on asset because they don't understand it yet. But so honestly, I'm, I'm not sure when exactly Bitcoin's going to turn around. I, uh, to be very safe, I would say when the money printers are turned back on and central banks around the world uh, have to pivot and go back to easy monetary policy, Bitcoin is going to absolutely fly. I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Bitcoin go from $30,000 to $3 million in the space of 12 months when the money printers get turned back on because it'd be such a shocking moment in the face of many large billionaire investors around the world when they find out the central banks can't normalize monetary policy and they begin printing when inflation's at seven, eight, nine percent. So predicting an exact bottom, I'm not sure. I personally think, hey, we're down, Bitcoin's down 70% from now. Historically being a brilliant time to start dollar cost averaging and buying Bitcoin because obviously in every bear market that Bitcoin's gone through, more and more bears come come out of the woodwork, the further the price goes. But nobody knows where the exact bottom is. So personally, I pull up the 13-year chart of Bitcoin and every single time Bitcoin's been down 70%, buying some Bitcoin when it's on discount has been and has proved to be a very fruitful decision throughout history. In our last episode, we did cover a lot of information on dollar cost averaging. So for people who don't know what this is, they can listen to the previous episode to gain some insight on that as well. How comparable do you think the current crypto crash is comparable to the dot-com bubble of the 90s? Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty similar. I think it is very similar. You've seen lots of scams were perpetrated in the 1990s dot-com bubble crash. Anything with dot-com at the end of it, any kind of company that had dot-com in its name just, just got absolutely ballooned in value. I 
ultimately all that crashed down. And I, I expect the exact same for crypto. So at the end of the dot-com bubble, there was hundreds, if not thousands of internet companies and by the end of it, the majority of that value kind of accrued to the protocols that were actually creating innovation. So that was like Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft. I think the same thing's going to be happening today. I think a lot of the value in crypto, so there's probably about a trillion dollars in the crypto market cap. I think whatever market cap the entire ecosystem has in 10 years time, I expect Bitcoin to capture 95% of that market cap value because just like Amazon, Google and Microsoft, it's the only innovation in the space. Gotcha. And do you think it's fair to block withdrawals of Bitcoin in a state of freefall? And what is the true reason behind it? Is it something that's fair? You mean the price depreciation of Bitcoin? Do you think it's worthy? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Bitcoin is, let's compare Bitcoin to Amazon. So I think Amazon had three 80% corrections in its life and it had five corrections bigger than 60% in its life. That's off the top of my memory. So I'm not sure if those exact figures are right, but essentially Amazon was very volatile when people were trying to learn what Amazon was and when they didn't understand how innovative Amazon would be and disruptive it would be. So I see Bitcoin in a very similar vein. So 1% of the world owns some Bitcoin and even of the 1% of the world that owns Bitcoin, I, I would would say that 99% of those don't even understand just how transformative and disruptive Bitcoin will be. So what I'm trying to say is Bitcoin's very early in its adoption life cycle. So it's natural for it to be very volatile in price. Nobody understands what they own when they own Bitcoin. So I think it will be very volatile. I expect lots more 50, 60, 70, 80% corrections moving forward into the future. And I think the same people laughing at Bitcoin because it crashed from 70k the same people will also be laughing when bitcoin crashes from 7 million to 2 million in five years time so yeah the volatility will continue so talking about bitcoin being volatile which type of crypto investor do you think will be the most affected by bitcoin crashes the holders or gen z or financial institutions or perhaps even professional traders what do you think i think everybody has probably been hurt the most but i think the only people that will be hurt by these short-term fluctuations in price are the people who don't understand bitcoin and the people who sell bitcoin so a lot of people would normally think, okay, retail's going to cop it the worst. But a lot of the friends that I know, the Bitcoiners, the maximalists, the Bitcoin maximalists who dollar cost average into Bitcoin, we, we will probably be hurt the least because we understand Bitcoin to a point that we're never going to sell our Bitcoin. So we're going to continue dollar cost averaging into a 70% correction. And in the long run, I believe that'll be a very fruitful decision. I think what's interesting, we, we're actually watching a lot of the billionaires and the hedge fund traders be affected the worst by this crypto crash because they they did degenerative things. They were lending out their Bitcoin. They were using leverage uh, to trade their Bitcoin, to rehypothecate their Bitcoin. Mike Novogratz is a great example of that. He now has an enormous tattoo on his arm of a crypto scam that went to zero. And obviously, you have the founders of Three Arrows Capital, which was the largest hedge fund in the crypto space. They're in debt billions of dollars, and they just had to flee Singapore because they're now on the run from the police for operating crypto scams. So I think anybody who tries to trade Bitcoin, the 
large majority of those traders will probably get hurt. Anyone holding crypto over the next few years will definitely feel the pain and probably get hurt. I think the Bitcoin maximalists will probably be the ones that survive the decade the, the best. Anyone who gets their Bitcoin off exchanges and doesn't sell it, they're probably going to be buying generational wealth and holding generational wealth because it's going to be probably the largest wealth transfer in human history over the next five or 10 years as we watch uh, the legacy financial system come to the realization that Bitcoin is the superior form of money and store value asset in the world. But a decade would be a really long period of time to track Bitcoin. Do you think that Bitcoin will break the resistance at 22,000? Because I've seen it struggle a lot recently. I think it'll be just fine. I think it's going to smash through the resistance at 22k. It's going to smash through the resistance at 32k. It's going to smash through the resistance at 69k, the previous all-time high, and it'll continue on to make higher highs. I, I expect it'll make uh, new all-time highs 2023 at the latest. So we're talking more than 70,000 US dollars by 2023. Yeah, I actually in in my article that's uh, pinned on on my wall on my Twitter profile. I actually expect Bitcoin to be conservatively worth 65 million by the end of 2030. Um, <laughs> I think 70,000 wow. is just another stepping stone. That's amazing. You just convinced me to invest $5,000 more into Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 I'd love to hear that. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's very good. Cool. So you mentioned that you wrote an article about Bitcoin going to 65 million, but you also wrote an article for Bitcoin Magazine, and it did turn out to be pretty correct with the volatility part. So can you give the audience a little insight into what went into the research while you wrote that article? Yeah, so essentially I was looking at technologies that have been adopted. So obviously we've had lots of very transformative technologies that get adopted by the entirety of society. So automobiles, um, obviously the internet, electricity, podcasting, smartphones, they're all examples of disruptive technologies that get adopted by 100% of people. So I kind of layered that framework on top of Bitcoin. I said, okay, Bitcoin is a transformative technology how would Bitcoin get adopted? And so essentially, these technologies get adopted in what's called an S-curve. So for anyone listening in on the podcast, I would encourage you to go to Google and just type in what an S-curve adoption looks like. But essentially, an S-curve adoption just kind of says technologies get adopted very slowly at first. When a new technology comes along, everybody thinks it's a joke. Like when the internet was around in the 1990s, everybody thought it was a joke. Paul Krugman, a PhD economist, uh, said that he thought the impacts of the internet would be worth zero by 2004. I can't remember the exact quote, but essentially when new technologies come along, people don't see the value in it. So it gets adopted very slowly at first. And there's actually this very good model that shows on average for the first 10 years that a technology enters society, typically it only goes from zero to 10% adoption. Only 10% of the people on earth or the people in society can see the transformative impacts that this new and different technology will have on society. But then this kind of technological adoption curve hits an inflection point. And when a technology has permeated around, you know, 5 or 10% of society, 
it hits an inflection point and the network effects of that technology really start to escalate. So in that same model, it takes 10 years to go from zero to 10% adoption. But then another 10 years later, a technology goes from 10% to 90% adoption. So the majority of a technology's adoption occurs in the second 10 years after it permeating society. So I kind of looked at Bitcoin and I said, okay, Bitcoin was created in 2008, kind of got released in 2009. Um, Bitcoin is now 13 years old. It's very interesting that in some countries around the world, Bitcoin's reached 10 or 20% adoption right now today in 2022. So I kind of see Bitcoin as being an emergent technology. The first 10 years of Bitcoin's adoption, we've kind of gone from zero to say, you know, five or 10% in some countries. And I expect by the end of the decade, we'll probably be at 90% Bitcoin adoption if it follows the same adoption growth as many of these other emergent technologies have followed throughout the past couple of hundred years. Right. And even with S-curve adoption, no matter how revolutionary something is, it does take a considerable amount of time for it to be mainstream. So I do completely understand your point of view on that. And I do completely agree with it as well. How long do you think the current Bitcoin fiasco is going to stay up? Is there any predictions that you've made or some research that you've done? Yeah, so Bitcoin's had, I think it's about 6, 80% corrections now. Typically, when Bitcoin goes through these bear markets, it normally it takes about 12 months for Bitcoin to find a bottom and then actually start making all-time highs again. So lots of people are predicting, okay, the bottom of Bitcoin is somewhere around fifteen to $20,000. Uh, that would be in line with normal historical bear markets in Bitcoin. So a lot of people are predicting, okay, Bitcoin's going to start moving higher and forming a bottom by 2023. So lots of people expect Bitcoin to enter another bull market in 2024. That's when the next halving will be. The Bitcoin halving obviously drives these four-year cycles that Bitcoin goes through. I actually, that was one of the first videos I made on my YouTube channel in 2020. So if anyone wants to visualize what a four-year Bitcoin cycle looks like, I encourage you to check that out. So Fix the Money, Fix the World is the YouTube channel of my first video back in 2020. And I kind of describe how these four-year cycles in Bitcoin play out around the halving that occurs every four years. But personally, I actually think Bitcoin's going to recover a little bit quicker than most people expect in the short term. Again, I never make short-term price predictions, but I think it's I think this time is different. I think this is the first 85% correction where we actually have nation states and sovereign nations buying Bitcoin on the dip. I think that's enormous. For example, El Salvador's president just came out last week and they said, yeah, we just bought a few more million dollars worth of Bitcoin at $19,000. Obviously, Brazil, a country who houses, I think, 200 million people. They're an enormous country, the fourth largest food exporter in the world. Their capital city, Rio de Janeiro, they actually put 1% of the city's treasury reserves into Bitcoin uh, late 2021. So I think this bear market's going to be a bit shorter than prior bear markets just because of the type of buyer that's buying Bitcoin. We we have literal countries buying Bitcoin today. And when you look at the on-chain data, because Bitcoin is an open ledger, an open blockchain, we can see who is buying Bitcoin and what they are doing with their Bitcoin. I think this is the first time in 13 years that Bitcoin's had an 85% correction, but the strong hands, the smart money 
continue buying Bitcoin, taking it off exchanges, and they're not selling their Bitcoin. So it's obviously impossible to know who that is, but I'm speculating uh, we're actually watching nation state accumulation of Bitcoin before our very eyes. And that's why I think we're going to hit a new all-time high in 2023 at the very latest. So after the 85% correction, everybody is buying into the dip. And a lot of people who are new to crypto are also buying the dip. Not to mention that everybody else who's have plenty of experience with Bitcoin and crypto is also buying the current dip, including me and Otto. So what is a word of advice for them? Buy the dip. Get your coins off exchanges. Uh, that's some great word of advice. Obviously, you guys did a video on dollar cost averaging. I think that's a great approach for new people. Right. And I, I would say to people, like, if you feel like you want to sell Bitcoin or if you feel nervous buying Bitcoin, I, I would I would encourage you to simply do more research. I was very nervous buying Bitcoin in 2017 and 2018 because I didn't understand it. Like at one point, I obviously entered finance and study in macroeconomics. What you're taught is you need to have a diversified portfolio. Back in 2018, 2019, I used to feel scared or I used to feel over leveraged on Bitcoin when I had like 10 or 20% of my overall net worth in Bitcoin. But the only reason I felt scared was because I didn't understand Bitcoin well enough. So any advice for people, if you feel nervous buying the Bitcoin dip, simply look into Bitcoin a little bit more and understand what it is. And when you come to the realization of just how transformative and disruptive Bitcoin is, you probably have more than 100% percent of your net worth in bitcoin like i do because <laughs> it really is buying bitcoin today is like buying shares of the internet stocks in the early 1990s when nobody understood what it was gotcha so i'm really a huge fan of the research that you've done it's really in depth so that makes me question tell us a little about your podcast bitcoin made simple podcast how did you get into it what was the motivation behind this uh, firstly thanks for the kind words i appreciate it dude yeah so i started my own YouTube channel in 2020. Um, I'm actually still posting to that, but Bitcoin was around four, five thousand dollars a coin. I'd probably done maybe two or three years of a little bit of research in the Bitcoin space, and I was so convinced that Bitcoin was going to go a lot higher in 2020 because that was the same year the halving happened. I felt like I needed to tell everybody about it, so I just wanted to educate more and more people about Bitcoin. So I started my podcast in 2020. I was more doing kind of educational YouTube videos, short and sharp 10 to 15 minute videos with lots of charts kind of taking an educational route and then in 2021 twitter spaces started up so for anyone who doesn't know what it is it's like a live room or a live call on twitter so you could have thousands of people in a twitter spaces room and you have 10 people who can speak and i kind of met lots of bitcoiners in 2020 and i met a fellow named Corey in 2021 and he actually started his podcast called the bitcoin made simple podcast and i met him online and he was like, hey, I see you've got a YouTube channel, mine, Fix the Money, Fix the World. He's like, do you want to come join me and we'll co-host the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast? He had sponsors at the time. So yeah, it was a brilliant win-win situation for me to meet Corey and post my content to two different platforms. And that's kind of what birthed the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast network. So your story kind of reminds me of how Otto and me took over the podcast. So that's pretty relatable. So is there any interesting story in your Bitcoin journey that you'd like to share with us? Anything that you've noticed or something that you're really keen about sharing? 
I am surprised by have an open mind to everything. I think that's a really good approach. I think in 2017, 2018, and 2019, uh, like I said, I was investing in crypto. I was investing in DeFi. I I, I nearly did like full-time leverage trading for about a year. And I used to look at the Bitcoin maximalists and I used to look at them and think, geez, they're a little bit toxic. They're a little bit full on. They're a little bit crazy. They're a little bit mean and extreme in their views. But obviously the, the more research I did, I kind of came to the understanding that, you know, they were probably right. And I had to admit that I was probably wrong and crypto wasn't the future or the innovation like crypto claims it is. And so for me, that was a, a learning experience that I wish I'd gone through maybe a little bit earlier, having to admit that I was wrong thinking DeFi and Web3 and crypto was the future because it, it, it is very hard to admit you're wrong. And especially when you're new and you enter the space, uh, you see lots of bold claims and very flashy marketing campaigns by these cryptocurrencies. Um, and they obviously pay very influential people to say nice things about their projects. So it looks very convincing on the surface, but it's not until you start reading those 50, 60, 100 page white papers that you come to the realization they're all the same. And it's all not an innovation. And I personally think crypto is just replicating the current legacy financial system where the insiders who are able to print fiat money out of thin air, uh, the same thing's happening in crypto. The founders of these crypto projects like Vitalik and anyone, they're just able to print themselves a bunch of tokens and change the rules whenever they want. So that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but I I would advise people, firstly, if you're new to Bitcoin, do 10 hours of research on Bitcoin. If you do 10 hours of looking into it, I guarantee you, you'll probably want to look into it a little bit more. And then the second key point I would say is just keep an open mind. I think a lot of the Bitcoiners, especially my journey, the Bitcoin maximalists, they come off as a little bit forward and a little bit toxic and a little bit mean to start with, but they're actually only being mean to the scammers and they're only being mean to the people who are trying to encourage you to do bad things with your money. So they're my two takeaways. Do lots of research, look at the both sides of both stories that you're seeing everywhere and keep an open mind. That's really insightful answer. So my question to you now would be, how would you or where would you place Bitcoin? Do you consider it a commodity, a security or just a good old currency? Because cryptocurrency, I mean, it has the word currency in it, but it depends on who you ask, really. If you ask somebody from the traditional financial system, they're going to call it a commodity. If you ask me, I'm going to call it a currency. So what do you think this is exactly? What are your thoughts on this? Bitcoin is money, and it's very natural for everybody to think of Bitcoin as different things because it serves a different purpose for lots of different people. Like, for example, people who are fleeing authoritarian uh, dictatorships like uh, that are currently going on in Venezuela, Iran, um, and then th- you've got lots of other countries like Nigeria that are suffering from massive inflation. Those people think of Bitcoin as money, a medium of exchange, and a unit of account because it's the best form of money for them. Uh, but people in Western countries who are, you know, we, we, we're kind of lucky enough to have some sort of rule and some sort of democracy, even though that's evaporating rapidly in many Western countries, including my own former home, Australia, (laughs) people are under the illusion that they don't need Bitcoin as a medium of exchange or a unit of account yet. So they see Bitcoin just as kind of like a speculative store of value. But this is natural for a form of money. Throughout history, whenever a form of money takes over the world and kind of 
promulgate society, it goes through different evolutionary phases. So first the money becomes a collectible, then a money is a store of value, then the money becomes a medium of exchange, and then it becomes the unit of account for all purchases and transactions in society. So I think Bitcoin is just at different evolutionary stages for different countries around the world. In Venezuela, in El Salvador, Bitcoin's nearly like a completed form of money. It's nearly completed its evolutionary process. But in other countries, it's seen as like a speculative trade or a collectible or just simply a store of value. I think it is promising to see that Bitcoin is recognized as property and as a commodity by the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission in the United States. And it is the only thing out of the 20,000 cryptocurrencies that is seen as a commodity and a property, uh, which is promising, very promising. But yeah, that's how I see Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is a thing of the current highly motivated and energetic generation. How will the traditional investors or people from the traditional financial system compete with it? I mean, they do have tons of market experience worth decades. Yeah, so it's interesting. The more experience somebody has in the legacy financial system, I actually think they're probably going to adopt Bitcoin later because most people only adopt Bitcoin when they come to the realization that their local currency is a scam and the government doesn't like them and the government is stealing their savings and their pension and their superannuation through inflation. So typically the countries that are suffering the worst from the highest inflation, they come to the realization of what Bitcoin is because they come to the realization that, oh, hang on a minute, I was wrong. This thing, this paper currency, whether it's US dollars, Australian dollars, or Nigerian Naira, this is a lie and this has no value. It's literally just paper redeemable for nothing. So it typically takes people a lot of pain to come to the realization of what Bitcoin is. And these guys in the legacy financial markets who have lots of experience and they're very wealthy, they will probably, it'll be very hard for them to admit that they're wrong and for them to admit, oh, hang on a minute, I'm really wealthy. I only got wealthy off a corrupted system. So I, I think it'd be it'd be interesting to see who adopts Bitcoin at what rates. But that's kind of a trend I've noticed throughout the world. People typically need to suffer a lot of pain first and admit that they were wrong before they can open their eyes to Bitcoin and an alternative monetary system. Judging by the current growth of Bitcoin, when do you think Bitcoin will be able to completely wipe out the traditional financial system within the next maybe 50 or 100 years. What is your prediction on this? Yeah, so in all the articles I've written, I've kind of said I expect most of the currencies around the world to go through hyperinflation before 2030. So I think by 2030, I think you're going to get into a situation where there's only two currencies left. There's the US dollar and there's Bitcoin. So I think Bitcoin will largely replace a lot of the legacy financial system by 2030. But obviously, we still have lots of development and infrastructure to build out for Bitcoin to be completely ready to replace the existing legacy financial system and the legacy financial rails. So yeah, I, I think I'm probably one of the most bullish people in the Bitcoin space. I do really do think it's going to happen on a very accelerated timeline. I think 2020 was a massive inflation 
inflection point that kind of opened everybody's eyes to the importance of Bitcoin. When you saw countries around the world just printing trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars out of thin air in response to a banking crisis that occurred in late 2019 before we got the lockdowns that were used as a scapegoat for that banking crisis. I think a lot of very large and wealthy people had their eyes open to the importance of Bitcoin and just how rapidly the legacy financial system is melting down and deteriorating. So that's why I personally think things are going to happen much quicker than most people believe they will. Do you think that apart from Bitcoin, are there any other high reward stock assets, maybe such as the game stop stock that's a bit of a tongue twister it or, is <laughs> or amc do you think that there are other high reward stock assets other than bitcoin i would encourage the listeners to go to my youtube channel i've had two different debates with good friends of mine who are very interested in gamestop um and one of them was interested in gamestop and amc uh my good friend's josh he's a, he's the sole researcher for george gammon's youtube channel and he has his own little youtube channel called macro after dark with his friend justin and we had a debate about GameStop for about 30 or 40 minutes. So that's posted to my channel. Uh, the short summary or the TLDR of that interview was, I personally, even if GameStop has another short squeeze, the big issue that GameStop or any other stock has is you need to actually trust the third party. So you need to trust Robinhood or the exchange to actually, you know, recognize your gains and let you withdraw your profits. And I fear that the same thing that happened in January 2021 with GameStop will happen again if there's another short squeeze. I think the people who can control the game, uh, the financial system, they will simply change the rules on the people trying to bankrupt the current legacy financial system. So obviously January 2021, the the GameStop short squeeze retail, they figured out the game. They figured out the game was rigged and they figured out correctly and very smartly how to short squeeze a stock. I thought it was a brilliant move. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I cheered them on, but I just think... Robin Hood who turned the buy button off and confiscated people's stocks and closed people's trades that were open on GameStop. I, I think the same thing will happen sadly again. The people who own the game, when they're threatened and when other people start winning the monetary game and it threatens the stability of the legacy financial system, I expect all of these stock trading platforms to just simply change the rules again. So I, I don't see them as good investments and especially when you can buy Bitcoin and you can hold Bitcoin in your own wallet so that nobody can change the rules or steal your Bitcoin or close your Bitcoin trade. I, I think when you can hold Bitcoin in that kind of way, I think it's a much, much, much superior trade to anything else in the world because I also think Bitcoin has the most upside that any stock, any real estate investment, any bond investment offers. I think Bitcoin's owned by less than 1% of the world. I did some very conservative maths in one of my articles showing that if Bitcoin captures just 20 or 30 or 50% of the world's wealth, you've still got a 1,000x left in Bitcoin. So I always tell people, if Bitcoin does become money of the world, every single dollar you put into it today will probably be worth $1,000 by the end of the decade when Bitcoin does become the global reserve currency. So I see any other investments as pretty inferior. Um, I joke around with lots of my real estate investment buddies that homes are actually shit coins. I see real estate as shit coins. I see everything that's not Bitcoin uh, as a shit coin. Yeah, given the recent market volatility, do you think crypto investments are 
are relatively safe because recently in this crypto winner we saw that when bitcoin came crashing down it also bought a lot of other altcoins down with it as well and i know that you said that anything that that's not bitcoin is a shitcoin so what if somebody was interested to invest into something other than bitcoin how safe do you think that is given the recent market volatility and as compared to the traditional financial system in my opinion not very safe at all it's very difficult to know when an altcoin founder is going to pull the rug on a project. It's very difficult to know uh, when an exchange like Celsius is going to close the doors on you. So I personally, I, I advise people to obviously do their own research, but I, I don't see any of the cryptocurrencies as safe. I really don't. I really do see Bitcoin as the safest and the only thing out there that's worth investing in. There's probably, there's obviously safer times to buy crypto. Like obviously in a bull market, sometimes a lot of these cryptocurrencies outperform Bitcoin for a very short period of time in a bull market. So I suppose that would be quote unquote safer, but it's not really safer than holding Bitcoin in your own custody, in your own wallet. Because a lot of people who buy these altcoins they trade them, they try to outperform Bitcoin in the short term, but they hold the Bitcoin on an exchange or they hold the cryptocurrency on an exchange. So it's a lot more risky. Um, not only do you not know when the protocol is going to collapse, but you also not know when the exchange could collapse. So I would say be very, very cautious to anyone out there. I have lots of debates on Twitter all the time with people who think they can time the market and trade cryptocurrencies and you know ride the bull market to make more Bitcoin in the short term. And I'll always say to them, look, that's cool. You do what you want to do. But just for the love of God, please hold some Bitcoin. Like go and do what you want to do. I, you know, I'm a libertarian. I'm, you know, a freedom maximalist. I'm a Bitcoin maximalist myself. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, but I always advise people who even think they're very good traders, just hold some Bitcoin, hold at least 10 or 20% of your net worth offline in a wallet that you control because you never know when the rules could change or you never know when the music could stop. Or as Warren Buffett says, you never know when the tide's going to go out and you're going to see who's swimming naked. And when the tide does go out, you want to be owning some Bitcoin. You know, that's exactly the point that I've raised in the past two episodes that just so you don't miss out, you should definitely be holding some Bitcoin in a safe place where it's away from any external influence. And talking about the short-term performance of Bitcoin last week, it was actually performing better than gold. This leads to my next question. Now, I feel like you've already answered this before, and that is to be patient to hold Bitcoin and just wait for it to touch $65 million. But what would be the best steps if someone was looking to make a million bucks through crypto, perhaps through holding or trading or whatever else you can do with it. Yeah, so definitely they've got to hold at least 50% of their net worth in Bitcoin, at least at all times in a wallet that they control, because you never know. Personally, Bitcoin has the biggest upside of anything in the entire crypto space. Like I look at Bitcoin and I think that is the thing that's going to turn, that's going to make many, many millionaires. The Bitcoin market cap is like $300 billion. In the article I wrote, looking at Bitcoin in terms of its total addressable market cap, Bitcoin's total addressable market cap is $900 trillion. Bitcoin is money. Money is a winner take all and has been a winner take all for 5,000 years. History would show us that Bitcoin's total addressable market cap is all the money in the world, $900 trillion. If I look at these other altcoins and even if 
I say, okay, if they do survive and if they do become decentralized or if somebody creates a decentralized smart contract platform, what's the total addressable market cap for such a thing? I personally, very, I'll be very nice to them. I'll say, I don't know, maybe it's $5 trillion, maybe it's $10 trillion, a total addressable market cap. So that's kind of what I look at when I say, okay, there's 20,000 coins in the crypto space all competing to be quote unquote decentralized smart contract platform. What's the total addressable market cap for that? 10 trillion at best. And that's competing with Bitcoin, which has already won its competition. Bitcoin is the only decentralized money. Money is a winner take all. And Bitcoin's total addressable market cap is $900 trillion of wealth. So anyone wanting to make a quick million dollars, I say, look, you got to at least have 50% of your money in Bitcoin. Anything else for me is just a, it's a, it's a speculation. And I don't even think it's the best kind of speculation when you look at the total addressable market caps of what you're trying to trade. Like the only other asset that I hold, God, the maximalists are going to kill me for this. I still have a little bit of gold uh, left in Australia somewhere. I'm obviously (laughs) in America at the moment. Um, But yeah, I, I think the only, the second best asset, firstly, I would say Michael Saylor put it best. There is no second best. Bitcoin is the best asset you want to own. It's the only asset you want to own. But if there was a second best, I would probably say it would be gold. And yeah, anything else is a gamble or anything else has security risks, has lots of different risks, in my opinion. Do you have a step-by-step research process or, you know, a certain criteria that you follow or you use to make decisions? Uh, yes, I'm a little bit of a reluctant reader, but I read as much as I can. If I can watch a video on it, I will do that. I listen to podcasts 24-7. Like I'll be shopping in the supermarkets. I'll have my AirPods in and I'll be listening to podcasts. When I'm at the gym, which is like the only hour of the day I'm not working or looking into the Bitcoin space, I'll be training at the gym and I have a Bitcoin podcast in my ears. So I'm always trying to learn more. That obviously helps investing. I, I, I listen to as many different opinions as I can. I used to listen to crypto guys, macroeconomic guys, Bitcoin guys. I just like to listen to as many varying opinions as I can. And then I do my own research and I go from there. I think some great books that I've read, the best books I've read is probably in in relation to Bitcoin. Everybody has to read the Bitcoin standard. Really encourage everyone to read that book. And then a book that's not really about Bitcoin, but it kind of is, is The Sovereign Individual. I think that is a brilliant book. It's the best book I've ever read. And it's actually not even about Bitcoin. It's actually just about the past 10,000 years of history and how technology changes very important things in society. The core premise of that book that was written in 1997 was they actually predicted the same way the printing press separated the church and state 500 years ago in the 1500s. They believed that a digital money or the microprocessor would separate money and state um, in the digital age. And obviously that book was written in the 1990s. So in terms of research, again, that was a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but I would encourage everyone to read those two books. They're brilliant books. And if you're interested in any topics in the Bitcoin space, I encourage listeners, message me on Twitter and I know of an article or a short video that can answer any question you've got. That's a really great answer. And I do believe that you should do your research and your due diligence before you actually make a decision. But what do you think about decisions based on hype? So we get this a lot with different cryptocurrencies apart from bitcoin or sometimes in some cases even with bitcoin but mostly with meme coins altcoins you get a lot of hype these days you know like you mentioned they're using different celebrities they're doing off the wall things just to garner the attention from the general public so is it a good idea 
to make decisions based on hype because it does definitely work in practice, but you just don't know how long the song is going to play. Exactly. You never know when they're going to pull the rug out from underneath you. And I think there's a really good video floating around on Twitter. Squid Games was obviously a very popular show that appeared on Netflix. Somebody, a scammer, was very smart and they created a uh, Squid Games token. And obviously lots of people made lots of money in the short term while the game was playing. And there was a famous YouTuber who was live streaming the chart of Squid Games. And I remember literally instantly there was just this massive 99% red candle and the dude's jaw dropped. He lost all his money in an instant because obviously the founders of the Squid Games token pulled the rug. So anybody trying to time these markets, uh, like I said earlier, buying altcoins today is a very, very bad decision. Buying altcoins in a bull market is a very bad decision. So it's mildly worse of a decision to buy it today because it's even more risky, but it's, I suppose, less worse to buy it in a Bitcoin bull market. But still, I, I really wouldn't advise, I'd advise people to be very careful, do their research and always hold some Bitcoin. Right. So fun fact, when this rug pull actually happened, Otto was actually live streaming on his Twitch channel as well. So he did live stream that as well on his channel. So I just thought I'd mention that. It's pretty interesting. And he just phoned me at that time. He's like, I just witnessed something great and I think you should see this. And I just went ahead and saw that and that was pretty crazy. And we actually included this in our third episode, I think. And we mentioned that the makers of the Squid Coin think it was called squid coin they ran away with around two million dollars and i mm. thought that this was pretty less as compared to the hype that squid games came with so yeah that's very cool i might even be talking about your video otto i'm, I'm not entirely sure it certainly could be you the video i'm talking about but that's that's very very funny um and, and that is surprising that the founders only got away with two million but that's common in cryptocurrency typically especially luna is a great example the market cap doesn't actually reflect the amount of money that's in that coin so just because luna had a market cap of 45 billion um, when the rug pull started and when do Kwon started selling his luna tokens he didn't get 45 billion dollars of value out of the market cap so probably a very similar situation with the squid games token right what do you think about the state taking the power and giving it to the commons how do you think governments will tackle this hyper bitcoinization because bitcoin is taken over it's given people a lot of freedom how do you think the governments will react to this or they've already started reacting. They're chasing a Binance's CEO. He just fled from the US to Hong Kong and now from Hong Kong to Dubai. So he's on the run and the feds are on him. How do you think other countries are going to react to this? And now this is not only applicable to Bitcoin, but to all cryptocurrencies. So what are your thoughts on this? Very interesting. In terms of the state trying to stop hyper-Bitcoinization, I think they're definitely going to try. I think we've seen lots of examples of the government try to stop Bitcoin adoption in many different countries, in Venezuela, Pakistan, India, Nigeria. All these governments have banned Bitcoin before in the past. And what actually happens is Bitcoin adoption increases when the government tries to ban Bitcoin because the people come to the realization, hang on a minute, why is my government banning Bitcoin? Well, when a government bans Bitcoin, it's actually admitting that Bitcoin's better money than the local governmental money. So that's very interesting. So the Nigerian government actually tried to ban Bitcoin in 2021 and 2022, and 
Bitcoin adoption actually increased in Nigeria. They actually, I think the adoption rate in Nigeria is something like 30 to 40% of the population owns a Bitcoin because they're trying to escape the local failing currency. So yeah, governments are definitely going to probably going to try and fight Bitcoin in the short term. Um, but for the same reason, they couldn't shut down uh, BitTorrent file sharing platforms. They won't be able to stop Bitcoin because Bitcoin's a decentralized computer system. We, there's a very interesting example recently in terms of crypto. When the recent war occurred, I think the US or another country tried to sanction or stop donations. And they actually, they were able to stop people using their MetaMask wallet on Ethereum. They were able to sanction all the people who were using Ethereum in the countries. I'm pretty sure it was Venezuela and Iran, because obviously Ethereum is very centralized, despite what most people say about Ethereum, it's very centralized. And the government was actually able to corner MetaMask and halt or stop any users in Venezuela and Iran using Ethereum. So I think that serves as a great example of how I think things will play out in the future. I think governments will try to stop Bitcoin, uh, but they will be shown to be very incompetent in trying to stop a decentralized monetary network. You can't stop that. It's impossible. There's 200,000 nodes or Bitcoin uh, copies of the ledger distributed all around the world anonymously. Government can't stop that. Government can very easily stop these centralized protocols like Ethereum or any of the other 20,000 cryptocurrencies. You know, to further facilitate buying and selling of cryptocurrency, you have exchanges like Paxful. You have tons of vendors who are locally based and also internationally based. And if you just want to buy a certain cryptocurrency, just go on there. You don't need to use a credit card or anything. Some vendors on there don't even require any verifications or proof. You can just go ahead and buy cryptocurrency. So it's going to be pretty hard to regulate. I do agree with that. Governments have shown a lot of incompetence and I do believe that they'll continue to show that. So going towards the end of this current episode, what are your biggest regrets while working as a crypto enthusiast or a trader? Lots of regrets. One of them earlier was not looking into Bitcoin as much as I should have early on. I was very caught up in the hype and the promises of crypto and DeFi and Web3. Wasted a lot of time and a lot of money investing in those protocols. I, I wish I had done more research on Bitcoin early. So I would recommend people go and read the Bitcoin standard. As soon as they're interested in the Bitcoin or crypto space, go and read some of the best books or the best articles in the Bitcoin space that explain what it is and the true innovation of Bitcoin is. Um, I would also recommend people don't use leverage. And probably the biggest recommendation I would say to people is if you don't hold your own keys, you don't hold your own Bitcoin. So go and get yourself a hardware wallet. People can actually get 5% off a Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only hardware wallet if they use a promo code Bitcoin made simple. Cheeky little plug. I thought I'd get that in there. But if the listeners want to get a cheaper hardware wallet, go and grab a Bitbox O2. Uh, lots of other great options in the space. But yeah, my biggest word of advice is not your keys, not your cheese. You've got to hold your own Bitcoin. That's the revolution that Bitcoin is. It's actually, it's a form of money that no rulers or emperors or dictators can control. If you're buying Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase or Binance, you're not participating in the revolution. You don't actually hold your own keys. So that's probably my biggest takeaway. Hold your own Bitcoin the way it should be held. 
I'll definitely take note of that. And the product does actually sound really interesting. So what is your end goal working as a crypto trader? My goal as a writer, researcher and podcaster would probably be just to educate as many people as I can. The whole space is very confusing at first. So I like to really dumb things down and kind of like really simplify things very simply so that people entering the space like I did in 2017 and 18, they're not confused at first. So my goal is just to educate as many people as I can about Bitcoin and what will probably be the largest revolution in human history, which is the separation of money and state. Gotcha. So if you were to start your crypto journey all over again, is there something that you would change? Perhaps how you were introduced to crypto or how you adopted crypto? What would you change? Definitely the kind of resources that I was looking into. I was only looking into crypto and trading videos initially. I wasn't teaching myself about Bitcoin enough. So any new person, I would say, okay, just listen to both sides of the story. Go and listen to some Bitcoin maximalists and then also go and listen to some crypto guys. Um, listen to both. Um, and then you be the judge of where you think the truth is and go and research both sides of the story. I think that's some great advice for people new entering the space. And until you figure it out, if you're going to trade or if you're going to gamble, if you're going to buy altcoins, just hold some Bitcoin in your own self-custody while you do that and while you come to the realization of what Bitcoin is. And you want to at least hold some. That was my biggest regret, not holding more Bitcoin. Sweet. All right. Can you give us a word of advice for the Blood Gang? Is there something specific that you'd like them to know to incorporate into their crypto philosophy? Keep stacking sacks, you crazy psychopath plebs out there. Uh, that's probably a little hat tip to the, was it New York Times who called Bitcoiners a bunch of psychopaths? So yeah, my, my word to the plebs would be keep stacking sats, guys. And yeah, not your keys, not your cheese. Gotcha. That's really <laughs> nice. I'll make it my motto from here onwards. I love that. That's good. Sweet. Okay, so thank you for joining us today and for the Blood Gang as well. If you made it this far, really appreciate that you've joined us today. So finally, I'd like to mention Luke's Twitter handle, and that is L-U-K-E-M-I-K-I-C-21. So go ahead, like and retweet, follow him on Twitter. He posts some really interesting stuff. He has his own podcast that you can listen to as well. So Luke, is there any other place where the audience can find you? Twitter's a great one. YouTube, I've got two YouTube channels, Blood Gang. You guys can check out Fix the Money, Fix the World. If you type that into the YouTube, you'll find my channel. And then you can also type into YouTube, The Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Just simply Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. And that's the one that I share with two other fellows. We all co-host that Bitcoin podcast there. So people can find me there. The best place, my Twitter handle is actually um, in the description of both of those YouTube videos um, and obviously we post all our episodes to Spotify and the Apple podcasting apps so you can listen to my content on the go. So yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. I hope I was insightful to the Blood Gang. Really love what you guys are doing here. It's a cool brand. It's a cool channel. You guys have like lots of different questions so I, I've actually had lots of fun coming on with you guys. It was a pleasure having you and I'd also like to mention to the audience that you can also go ahead and give us a follow on Blood Gang's Twitter account, which is Bloodgood BDC. That is B L O O D G O O D B T C as Bitcoin. You can also go ahead and follow Otto on his Twitter account, which is Bloodhost BDC. So, yes, that is about it. Thank you everybody for joining us today and see you next week. Want more Crypto World? 
Join our community at bloodgang.com. Follow us on Spotify and stay tuned for the next episode. Learn, earn, then give back. So what did you guys think of that podcast? Okay, if you did make it all the way to the end of this video, I'm sure that you'll also like these videos that I'm popping up on screen right now. They are some of the more interesting topics I have covered in the past handful of weeks. So um, thanks again for dropping in wherever you are listening to or watching this one from all around the world. Um, I hope you have a, a very good day. If you enjoyed this one, feel free to like this video and subscribe to the channel. Really helps us out here at Bitcoin Made Simple and we will continue making Bitcoin only content for you and your friends and family. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.